Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at the battle for Aleppo, Syria's second largest city. It's simultaneously a grave humanitarian crisis and a potential turning point in the long-running civil war. Joining me on the line to discuss that are two of the FT's experts on the situation in Syria, Erica Solomon and David Gardner. Eric, if you, I could start with you, could you just give us an idea of, of the state of the battle and who's slugging it out? Aleppo was Syria's largest city before the war began. It was its economic hub, and it is a huge political prize at this point in the Syrian war. For the rebels, it's the last city that they have a real presence in that has any sort of meaning in terms of political negotiations. And for President Bashar al-Assad, this is a a huge uh, opportunity for him. If he could manage to deprive the rebels of of this position... He could say, "You, you. Who do you represent? Who are you? Um, who, who can who can you really say claim to be defending? And try and take away a big chip in the negotiations that are expected to happen later on this month in Geneva." And David, uh, Erica suggests there that that it's very much Assad who's on the offensive. Assad who may succeed in 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 dislodging the rebels from Aleppo. Is that your reading of the current state of the, the battle? It's always quite hard to know in this very confusing... This is a very big battle, no question. The Assad regime, covered by heavy Russian airstrikes, spearheaded on the ground by Hezbollah and the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, they started this offensive, obviously with high hopes, about four weeks ago, roughly. In recent days, in, in repost to that, you've got the third and by far the biggest rebel counteroffensive. I mean, said by you know, reputable observers during this five-year war to be the biggest so far of the whole war and spearheaded by this powerful jihadist force which just last week severed its links with al-Qaeda and for the purposes of this operation has closed ranks with other rebel forces. But I'm not really sure that either side really expects to inflict a decisive blow here. I mean, it looks to me to be more about cutting each other's supply lines. In the regime case, to separate the rebels in part of Aleppo from Idlib, a stronghold nearby, and above all, the Turkish border, that pipeline, for the rebels to break the siege. And in that sense, it fits into a by now familiar and baleful pattern of bloody stalemate in what is nevertheless a constantly shape-changing civil war. But I think it's a, a feature of that kind of stalemate that each side performs more ferociously when it is on the defensive. And Erica, I mean, there are still, I gather, estimated to be 250,000 people living in Aleppo. Their conditions must be appalling, and the city is under siege, it's under bombardment. What do we know of the humanitarian situation? Aleppo has been um, under an effective siege for over three weeks at this point. And quite early on, 
there were signs that um, supplies are running out. When I spoke to people a few weeks ago, they were already talking about panicked civilians jumping into supermarkets, stripping stuff off the shelves, people beating each other up, trying to get the last of supplies. So if you can imagine that that was what was going on a few weeks ago, the situation is already much, much worse now. That said, um, I've noticed this week um, a kind of revival of spirits in the opposition-held part of the city as they do launch this major pushback against the regime. And you've been hearing stories now about people coming together to help distribute the bread that they're managing to bring into the city, people working together to distribute the little bit of fuel that they can bring in to help rescue workers use drills to um, dig people out of wreckage from airstrikes. So there is a kind of coming together right now. I think that spirits have really been revived in the middle of this um, rebel pushback, this attempt to actually, in a way, launch a counter siege on the regime. What they're trying to do is cut supply lines and then, in effect, push back on the regime by depriving their side of the city of supplies, because essentially Aleppo is split in half between the east that is held by the opposition and the west that is held by the regime. So they're, in a way, kind of trying to do the same tactic to each other to try and influence the other side. And David, give us a sense of, of the state of the opposition. I mean, obviously, they've launched this quite impressive counteroffensive. You said it was led by al-Nusra, which has now formally separated itself from al-Qaeda. But obviously, there's enormous confusion, particularly in the West, about what to make of the opposition. Are they jihadists who uh, the US should be very, very careful of? Or are they still the groups that uh, that we're trying to back? What's your reading? I mean, where's the sense of gravity in the opposition now? center of gravity, you know, on any given week or month, it might be changing. But the, the feature of Nusra has been the extent to which it's on the sharp edges of opposition-held areas. And it's very, very, very difficult to separate all that out. But as Erica was just pointing out, and what she referred to as this coming together, I mean, in the face of this existential threat, which could, were it to go through as the Assad regime envisages, be, be a turning point in, in the war. There is this coming together. But I think a feature that needs to be taken strongly into account here is that on the regime side, despite the ferocity of the Russian airstrikes, they are unable to match this with equivalent advances on the ground. They can take territory, but rarely can they hold it. For that, you need ground troops. It's a statement of the obvious, and they don't have the numbers. They have a depleted army, which increasingly exists only on paper, and increasingly is regarded as unreliable by its Russian, Iranian, and Hezbollah allies. So... When Mr. Assad rather vaingloriously promises to not only take Aleppo, but recover virtually every inch of Syria, you really want to ask, I mean, him and whose army? Because they have not been able to take full advantage of the Russian air support with commensurate advances on the ground. But what what is the state of the opposition, though? Because it strikes me, from admittedly from quite a distance, that they're in danger of losing quite a lot of their international support. Uh, we've seen some evidence of a Turkish-Russian rapprochement. 
the Americans are said to be working behind the scenes with the Russians, at least in uh, taking on Islamic State, who are another player in, in this drama. Um, so who does that leave the opposition with other than the Saudis? Yeah, I think there is a consciousness that so much of this hangs by a thread. I mean, the, the bare bones of the Russian-U.S. understanding as far as it exists is, OK, we will agree that al-Qaeda, Nusra, etc., is, is a legitimate target, provided you convince us that they've been separated out from, as it were, mainstream rebels, and that you are not continuing to pulverize rebel civilian enclaves. But in actual fact, very little of that has happened. It's very hard, therefore, to see the Americans simply walking away from, admittedly, dwindling bands of non-jihadi rebels. And, and Erica, is there any chance, I think you alluded at the beginning to this battle being almost a preparation for a return to the diplomatic negotiating table. Is there any chance for diplomacy? I mean, certainly the idea that they were going to open up humanitarian corridors seems to have disappeared for the time being. The issue of whether or not there will be a return to the performance of diplomacy, let's say, is really in the hands of the U.S. and the Russians in terms of whether or not, as David talked about, they can agree on some sort of model to target jihadi groups and spare the other groups that are fighting on the ground. Um, but whether or not that diplomacy actually leads to anything on the ground is, has been the big question really since diplomacy started for serious war. It so rarely has been much more than just um, bringing people together to throw insults at each other in hotel lobbies at press conferences. And I think that we're at risk of that point again. The one small bit of hope that we had this year was actually the much-criticized ceasefire that happened. There was a very brief window when even some opposition groups said, actually, yes, there are places where the situation is getting better. And on the flip side, people in regime-controlled areas were saying, hey, it's really nice not to have to worry about shells all the time. You should keep this up. You should keep doing that. And now we've lost that sort of civilian pressure, that sort of expectation from locals. That's gone. We have this Aleppo offensive now. There's fighting also around Damascus. Any momentum that that ceasefire could have created is gone. And so actually what you have people worrying about in Syria is that if the Russians and the Americans can't come up with a compelling framework to continue negotiations, we're actually going to enter an even bloodier period than before, if you can imagine that. Um, and I think that the, for people in Syria, that's the real concern. Are we actually not heading towards a potential next peace round, but to another escalation of a horrible war that's already been going on for too long? Well, Erica Solomon, thank you very much for that assessment. Thanks also to David Gardner in Beirut. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 